You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with John Farragon to talk about diagnostic testing for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Thanks as always for being here, John. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mariana. Glad to be here again. So, John, let's get into it. When should people be tested for COVID-19 and who should be tested? Yes, this is still like ongoing, right? This, the CDC changes a lot of this, but basically anyone who has symptoms um, that are consistent with COVID-19, you know, as well as people who are um, uh, with known high-risk exposures to SARS-CoV-2 really should be tested for SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, as a pharmacist that's involved with this uh, with this disease state, I get these questions all the time from family members, um, and I always just go right to the CDC guidance and, and find out. Um, but there's also NIH guidelines as well that are really helpful. Um, they also suggest that testing should also be considered for individuals who spend time in heavily populated environments, for example, teachers and students, um, food industry workers, and also for travelers. Um, testing requirements obviously are going to vary state by state um, and uh, state local employer uh, policies. So depending on where you are listening from today, there may be different answers to who, who should be tested. Those of you who may not know, like even the masking guidelines have changed recently with CDC and they have a, a new um, uh, kind of a, uh, it's, I think it's green, yellow, orange uh, based, based on county, you can go to the CDC website and it'll tell you whether or not you need to mask in public places um, based, on, based on what the numbers are in indiv- your individual county. Uh, but really travels are really complex to figure out because that's really, you know, so some of the, uh, some of the uh, may need evidence of a recent negative test before they uh, enter some states or countries. It depends on, 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 where, on where you're coming from, especially if you do international travel and you're coming back some of those rules may actually be pretty complex. But the bottom line, I think anybody who has symptoms, obviously, um, and again, be careful not to test too early, you know, test, probably test at like day three or four, but they got to isolate before if you really think you have it. Um, and then obviously, if you're, um, if you're a close uh, contact with somebody who's a known high-risk exposure to SARS-CoV-2, you probably should be tested at some point uh, as well. Although some places would just tell you just wear a mask for 10 days if you've been exposed to somebody Again, I think it's hard to know exactly what what to tell people to do in every single situation. So what kind of tests are out there to detect COVID-19? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is something that I don't think we've talked about before, but there are basically three broad categories of testing for for um for these uh for for COVID nineteen or SARS CoV two so first is the NATS N A A T S which is the nucleic acid test basically PCR tests this is really kind of the gold standard I think for for testing 
then there's antigen tests and then there's antibody tests, right? The antigen tests are probably the ones that we're most familiar for home kits, right? And it's uh, usually um, uh, testing for a piece of the nucleocapsid in, in the virus. And they're pretty accurate. They're not perfect, but you know, clearly the PCR is better, but the antigen tests are also helpful for kind of a quick screen. And then the antibody tests, which are, we'll talk a little bit about, about what the roles are for them. But while a number of these diagnostic tests for SARS-CoV-2 have received EUAs or these emergency use authorizations from the FDA, there, I don't, at this point, uh, as far as I know, there's no diagnostic test that's been officially approved by the FDA uh, for, um, for diagnosing um, uh, COVID, uh, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 infection, which you know, is, the, is the virus that causes COVID-19. So can you talk a little bit more about these NAT tests? Is a NAT a PCR test? Yeah, so this is basically considered a PCR test. Um, it's a diagnostic test which detects viral nucleic acid, so also also known as NATs, right? So uh, nucleic acid um, uh, uh, tests. And, and these are considered the gold standard for detecting current SARS-CoV-2 infection, but there may be a window period of up to about five days after exposure before these viral nucleic acid uh, particles can be detected. So some NATs may produce false negative results, if, especially if there's a mutation uh, in the part of the virus's genome that's assessed by that test. So for example, if you have a mutation that, or a variant that has mutations that aren't picked up on your test, that could be a potential problem. Although I think most of the commercial tests or most of the tests that are being used now are pretty accurate about picking up all the variants. That's something that you do have to think about. Um, so they do uh, issue these updates when specific variations uh, could affect the performance of, uh, of, of NAT tests that have been recently uh, EUA approval approved. So if they have an EUA and there's a problem potentially with that, with that NAT test, the FDA will let you know. Uh, generally, false negative test results are more likely to occur when using these NAT tests that rely only on one genetic target for the virus, but a lot of these will will involve different proteins that they're looking for in the virus to, to have the PCR um, test come back positive. So naturally a single negative test result does not exclude the possibility of SARS-CoV-2 infection in people, especially those people who have a high likelihood of infection based on their exposure history and on their clinical presentation. I think the, the big point here is like, you almost have to think of like, almost like even like with HIV testing, if you do something right away or you think you're infected on that day and you test that day, you may potentially have a get a negative test, and, and it's really a concern whether it's you're using the NATs or you're using, you know, some of the other tests that we that we that we have the you know the um, um, the the uh, antigen test. But I think it's really important to know that the variants can cause some false negatives, and I think that's another piece of it with certain NATs. But but the NATs that use multiple targets are going to be light, less likely to be impacted. Um, by the increased prevalence of genetic variants. So in fact, because each of these tests target multiple locations, um, these uh, they actually can be helpful in identifying new genetic variants before they become widespread in the population. I just give you a quick example. Um, so a good example is this is B117 variant that's been associated with increased transmission, carries many mutations, and then it has a double deletion at position 69 and 70 on the spike protein gene. So this B117, this is actually Omicron. So the, the spike protein dropout, they call it S-gene dropout, please get it, the S-gene dropout, this mutation appears to impact the detection of that S gene, but does not impact other genetic targets in, in certain NATs. So if, if your COVID-19 is still suspected after a patient receives a negative test result, I, you know, the clinicians really have to consider repeating the test initially. Um, and ideally um, they should use a NAT with different genetic targets. And that's sometimes that's available, sometimes it's not. But at the, the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes some of the 
some of the nucleic acid tests that we have, these PCR tests, if there's a, a protein dropout, it may actually be an, an indication that, you know, that sample probably should go to, you know, a variant lab because there's probably something different going on and it may be a, a new variant. So sometimes these, these, these tests and these, these different proteins that we're looking at, when there's a change in what actually gets, um, uh, is notified as being positive or negative, it might actually help them, uh, people in the lab to identify potential new variants. And I think this is a, some of the way, I think, in some of the ways that, that Omicron was picked up so so quickly. But again, it all depends on where you are and the testing in the lab that you have and, uh, and the number of different tests that you might be able to run for, uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2. What about antigen testing? How is that different? Yeah, so antigen-based testing um, is, is, not, is not a viral load. It's basically looking at just viral antigens. Um, so these are less sensitive than our RT, uh, these PCR-based based tests, these NATs, but they have similar high specificity. And anyone who's done testing home, these are the kits that you're getting. So even the ones that were sent out by the government, I just happened to get mine on this, this past Saturday over the weekend. I got two boxes. Um, and while these aren't perfect, it's certainly easier than going to a clinic to get tested. So, you know, if you, instead of going, make an appointment somewhere and getting either a, uh, one of these tests or a PCR test, you know, this is a little bit easier to kind of get, get screened. Um, these, they perform best early in the course of symptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection when the viral load is thought to be highest. But again, be careful because, you know, very early on, you might not have that going on and you might not actually pick it up. So, I, I would say two to three days in that you're probably most likely going to have a, have a positive test with a lot of these. Again, that, that number is not exact by any means, and it's probably going to be different for different variants as well. Um, but when the viral load is thought to be the highest, it's probably when you're most likely to pick up these positive tests. So the advantages of the antigen-based tests is that they're low cost and you have rapid turnaround time. You know, obviously this is, you know, within 15 minutes, you have, you have basically uh, um, uh, a, a sample that's, that's, um, uh, that you can evaluate to see if you if you have SARS-CoV-2. And I think many people have seen these before, right? Basically, the first line, um, there's a test line that's at the end. And then if the first line winds up being, you know, a different color, it means that, you know, you basically had, um, you know, the the antigen antibody response has occurred in the, uh, in, the in the test. Um, so so you can you can actually see that it's very similar to a pregnancy test. So if, if the window is clear, you're fine. But if it's if there's two lines, it means you know, something's going on. Um, so that's, that's actually helpful. Um, these also tests, these also tests allow for repeat testing to quickly identify persons with SARS-CoV-2 infection. So for example, if you think you're positive, you take a test and you're still not feeling better after a couple of days, you may have tested too early. You can obviously take another one without some huge hit to your, to, to, to your bank book, you know, to try to make sure that, um, uh, you know, um, to make sure that you have that second test. The CDC testing algorithm really recommends um, additional NATs on a person who is strongly suspected of having SARS-CoV-2. So for somebody who's symptomatic, if they receive a negative result, um, and when a person who is asymptomatic receives a positive result. So if somebody's asymptomatic and they get a positive result, there are false negatives and false positives. So antigen tests can actually yield false positive results for a variety of reasons. And these include, some of these include uh, incomplete adherence to the instructions. So if you don't do the test right, um, reading the results outside of the specific time interval um, or storing the test cartridges and cards inappropriately. So these test interferences, interferences can also be caused by human antibodies as well. For example, rheumatoid factor and other nonspecific antibodies can potentially make these tests, uh, kick these tests over positive. So use in communities that have a low prevalence of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, if you, again, if you, if you, um, 
um, you know, if you've done one of these tests, it's, it's a little cumbersome and it may be difficult to understand. However, the interpretation is very similar to a pregnancy test, as I said, which, um, uh, you know, where there's a control and a test positivity line in the window of the test, and you can tell whether or not it's, um, it's positive or not. What about serologic testing or antibody testing? In what instances would that be useful? So one of the problems with antibody testing is that some people's thoughts, like my thoughts on it, don't always match with the thoughts of what everybody else uh, else says. But um, I'm going to go over the guidelines. And sometimes people may have different opinions on, on when to use antibody testing. But unlike the NATS and the antigen test, this really detects the presence of the virus, which those detect the presence of viral, virus or serological um, uh, the serological or antibody, antibody tests can actually detect recent or prior SARS-CoV-2 infection. So your antibodies are a response to the antigen. So the response is what you're measuring with antibodies. Um, and these can be helpful, but the problem is it does take some time. So it can take up to 21 days or even longer after symptom onset for seroconversion to occur. So, which is basically the development of detectable um, IgM or IgG antibodies to SARS-CoV-2. So the guidelines do not recommend serological tests as the sole basis for diagnosing acute SARS-CoV-2 infection. That's because it takes a lot of time and they're not really helpful for when somebody's initially infected. And then, so the NATS and the antigen tests um, can yield false negative results. Serological tests sometimes may be used in some settings as an additional diagnostic test for some patients who you strongly suspect have SARS-CoV-2 infection. Those are pretty rare events though. Using a serological test in combination with a NAT uh, to detect IgG or total antibodies three to four weeks after symptom onset may maximize the sensitivity and specificity to basically to detect, to detect past uh, infection that, that may have occurred. Um, false positive tests may actually occur due to cross-reactivity from other antibodies and also to other coronaviruses. So that's really a big challenge for some of these antibody tests that, that we have available. It's also unclear how long antibodies persist following infection. And it's also unclear whether the presence of antibodies confers protective immune immunity against future infection. So some of the things we don't know is that what's the antibody level supposed to be? Where is it? If it's just there, you have a yes or no, or if it's quantitative, does it mean anything? Does it mean anything in, in relation to the vaccine efficacy? These are all things that I think are just have to be really figured out and hammered out. Um, but again, assuming that the test is reliable, I think serologic tests that identify recent or prior SARS-CoV-2 infection may be used to do a couple of things. And I think the first thing is to differentiate SARS-CoV-2 antibody responses to natural infection from vaccine-induced antibody responses to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein antigen. Uh, because these nucle nucle nucleocapsid protein is, is not a constituent of the vaccines that are currently available through the EUAs or in late-stage clinical trials or even FDA-approved, some of these serological tests that detect antibodies by recognizing that nucleocapsid protein can be used to distinguish antibody responses to natural infection from vaccine-induced antibody responses. So basically, what I'm trying to say here is that if you have something that identifies the nucleocapsid um, of the virus, that's likely that somebody has had infection, and that can actually, you can actually say that they probably have natural natural immunity um, uh, um, on board for that person if, if, if the test comes back positive. However, vaccine-induced antibody responses, which again, for the vaccines, we're just doing spike protein um, antibodies, right? That's all that's produced by the, by the vaccinations that we're using. You know, that's where you can get some differences in, in whether it's vaccine or natural immunity for, for some patients. Um, basically, uh, but most importantly, the guidelines now recommend serologically tests uh, 
do not recommend serological tests be used in the following situations, making decisions about how to group persons in congregate settings for schools, dormitories, et cetera. You shouldn't use it to determine whether persons may return to the workplace. You shouldn't use it to assess prior infection. Um, and you shouldn't use it for determining immunity to SARS-CoV-2 following vaccinations you know, outside of, a, outside of a clinical trial. So, so I guess in summary, Mariana, we have basically three tests, right? We have the, the NAT, which is the PCR. We have antigen tests, which is the home test kits that a lot of us are using. And then we have the antibody tests, which again, can, te can test um, different parts of the virus as well. The antibody tests, I think, are, are less, less helpful in, in, in most settings for uh, determining if somebody actually has SARS-CoV-2. It helps to determine if they had it in the past. But, but, you know, as far as acutely, you know, the, the, the gold standard really is the PCR test. Um, and then, you know, obviously a close second are those antigen tests, which can be really helpful. Again, my caution to everybody is making sure you're not testing too early, because if you test early, you may have a false negative and you may still be infected. So if you have symptoms and you test and you're negative and you test early, and then you're still feeling not feeling good a couple of days later, it may be a reason to either retest using a PCR or retest using another antigen test. And those are things I think that are kind of in flux and about how people how, how people think about it. Your healthcare providers can certainly provide some great guidance and I'd encourage you to take a look at the CDC guidelines if you, or the NIH guidelines for, for some of this information on testing, which I think is really helpful. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about all of the different testing methods to detect COVID-19. It's so important to know which tests should be used and when. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about NECA AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.necaatc.org. That's www.necaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.